the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message is, What We Need to Know About Hard Times. What We Need to Know About Hard Times, taken from 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19, that was read for us. In an interview with William F. Buckley, or the late William F. Buckley, the late British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge made this statement, quote, As an old man, looking back over one's life, it's one of the things that strikes you most forcibly, that the only thing that, that's taught one anything is suffering, not success, not happiness, not anything like that. The only thing that really teaches one what life is about is suffering. Most of us do not learn very much from good health, happy days, money in the bank, and good fortune. We enjoy those things, but we don't learn much from them. It seems that we all have to spend some time in this school of hard knocks to learn lessons God has for us. And our scripture today sums up the four major lessons we need to know about hard times in the Christian life. And so the first is hard times develop our character. Hard times develop our character. And Peter says in First Peter 4, 4 and verse 12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. This is a message the American church needs to hear again and again especially when we have people preaching that none of God's children, if they have faith, should be sick or poor, that somehow uh, we can uh, have whatever we want, the good health, as long as we have the faith to believe. But discipleship is tough. 
not as easy as so many people try to make it. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Believers in other parts of the world understand this far better than we do. In fact, if you go to opendoors.org slash persecuted Christians, you'll find a list of the 50 countries in which the worst Christian persecution exists. People are dying day after day. Their properties burned down. They're losing their jobs, unable to do the things that we do because they are Christians. That's the only reason why they are suffering. And so we need to remember always the words of our Savior in John chapter 15 and verse 20 when he said, Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It is in this context that the words, dear friends, in verse 12, uh, become so important. Is the phrase actually means those who are deeply loved by God, when he says dear friends. You see, it's key to everything Peter wants us to know. This is what it means. God loves you deeply and profoundly. Therefore, don't be surprised when you suffer as a Christian. No, that's a hard connection for, for many of us to make. You see, we live in an age where one of the best-selling books uh, some years ago uh, is called Your Best Life Now. But Peter would say, living for Christ is the best life you can have, and it always includes suffering. You can't escape it. Most of us don't think that way. We are surprised when trials come, how they come and where they come from. We think we do not deserve them. I've been in the presence of Christians with terminal illness who ask the question, why me? And I've also been in the presence of Christians who rise to the pinnacle of faith and say, why not me? Recognizing the goodness of God to them. Maturity in the Christian life is measured by our ability to withstand the tests that come our way without having them shake our foundation or throw us into, an, into a tailspin. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to endure, and endurance develops strength of character in us, and character strengthens our confident expectation of salvation. So both Peter and Paul want us to recognize the nature and significance of trials and difficulties in the Christian life. 
We can rejoice in our trials, not because we are masochists who just um, like to feel pain or, and discomfort, but we rejoice in trials or hard times because, as the scripture says, they develop character. Now, we won't probably see how it develops character um, you know, very clearly, but at some point in the future, we'll understand how God used it in order to make us the person that he eventually wants us to be. But the second lesson is that hard times bring us closer to God. Hard times bring us closer to God. In verses 13 and 14, uh, Peter says, Instead, be very glad, because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterward, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it is displayed to all the world. Be happy if you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious spirit of God will come upon you. You see, when a lot of Christians are going through hard times, they think, God is angry with me, or God is getting even with me, or God is punishing me because of some things that I've done. They think that something must be wrong in their life, or they must be out of God's will if they are having so many problems and trials uh, in, their, in their life. But contrary to such a view, Peter is saying that suffering makes us more like Jesus Christ. It is a reminder of our relationship to Jesus Christ, which ought to make Christians truly glad. He says suffering is an evidence of our union with Christ. Our suffering then is not merely our own. Our suffering is also Christ's suffering. So they provide assurance that when Christ comes in glory, we will rejoice forever with him. As Paul said, if we suffer with him, then we shall reign with him. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, for our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great joy that will last forever. You see, in the hour of greatest trial, there is great consolation for the believer. In great suffering on earth, there is great support from heaven. You may think that you will not be able to bear what you are, you have to go through. But if you really belong to Christ, then you'll be able to bear it because he will come to you and rest upon you and go through whatever you are going through with you. As Samuel Rutherford, uh, one of God's dear saints, um, 
said centuries ago, quote, the great king keeps his finest wine in the cellar of affliction. He does not bring it out to serve with chips and on sunny afternoons. He keeps it for extremities. End of quote. Is there any need to God in the midst of suffering? The Spirit of God will reveal enough of glory and enough of God to satisfy your soul, to carry you through the situation you're going through. You see, Peter wants us to understand that nothing moves us closer to Christ than when we go through hard times. This is what Paul is getting at, I believe, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, where he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is not that suffering in and of itself brings us to Christ. It is what suffering does to us and in us. You see, when we are flat on our faces, having been knocked down again and again and again, at some point, if we truly know the Lord, we lay aside our pride and in deep desperation cry out to God for his help. You see, most of us can uh, identify with that famous poem that the, about the footprints in the sand. He said, first there were two sets of footprints, ours and the Lord's. Then there was only one set. And when we asked God why he left us alone when we needed him most, he replied, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. You see, we generally only see that in retrospect after the trial is over. God intends that our hard times, our times of trial, should move us from where we are to where Christ is. But number three, hard times should lead to serious self-examination. Should lead us to serious self-examination. And so in verses 15 through 18... Uh, Peter says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You see, if we do wrong, we should expect to suffer. And Peter utters a warning in verse, in verse 15. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal 
or even as a meddler. Now, it is so easy for us to read this list that Peter gives and sort of dismiss them. Oh, murder doesn't apply. A thief, no, doesn't apply. A criminal, no, doesn't apply. And then Peter slips in, or even as a meddler. He said, that doesn't quite seem to fit with the first three. The word meddler means one who gets involved in the affairs of others when he or she has no business being there. Such a person is self-appointed, is a self-appointed overseer of the affairs of others. Uh, They uh, barge in where they are not wanted or needed and make things much worse by what he or she sense. You see, if you suffer from being a meddler, then don't complain. You know, no one likes a busybody who constantly interjects himself or herself where they don't belong. There are troublesome meddlers in any church of, any, of every size. All of us know people who are busying themselves in other people's business. People who are on the telephone, uh, people who are writing emails about things that don't concern them, people who are actually making things worse, not better, people who are actually rejoicing in other people's troubles who like to talk and gossip and stand in little corners talking about other people's troubles because it makes them look good. It hurts, doesn't it? If you are going to suffer, says Peter, make sure that you are not suffering because of something that you have done, something which is foolish or something that is sinful. Now, note that Peter puts meddling in the same class with murder because it's a form of uh, character assassination. Then Peter adds, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. As the gospel began to spread, the followers of Jesus were given a nickname by the Romans and and the Greeks. They were called Christianos, that is, Christ followers. It was a derisive term, an insult. And so the early Christians would not say, Caesar is Lord. They would rather die than utter those words. And this is why the early church was persecuted so severely. Mm-hmm. Thus the lives, the lines were drawn very early uh, in the church, Christ or Caesar. Mm-hmm. Now I wondered what it would be like today if we had to decide between the world and Christ, mm-hmm. between Caesar and Christ. Mm-hmm. What would you do? What if 
you were threatened in your job or in, in, your, in your home or um, in other situations simply because you are a Christian. Now, we don't have too much of that here in the United States because we regard ourselves as a Christian country. But there are many countries in the world today, as I said earlier, where Christians have to um, hide in order to worship their God. They cannot do it publicly because of the persecution that would take place, the loss of life. But Peter's point is clear here. He says, do not be ashamed if you're being persecuted for being a Christian. It is something that the world may not understand, but you understand who you are and the person who has called you, the one who has called you. That Jesus Christ is the one who has called you to suffer with him. I think for Peter, this was very personal. He probably remembered the dark night when Jesus was arrested and when he denied the Lord three times. And so the word ashamed means to dishonor. Don't do anything to dishonor the name of the Lord. Instead, praise God that you are counted worthy, worthy to suffer for his name. And all you have to do is to read the martyrs of the Christian church in the first, especially the first three centuries. Now, I'm sure that in the, in the centuries after that, you can find many, many examples of people who counted it uh, a, something which was um, significant, or we could say which was an honor uh, to do to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. But Christianity for us today becomes so easy. Take it or leave it. And um, there are many people who do just that. They leave it. They do not um, even dark the door of a church because they don't uh, really believe the message of the gospel. And as Christians, we don't um, uh, exemplify what the gospel is all about, that we spend time crying and worrying and moping uh, just like the non-Christians do. But let's move to the, the last point. Peter says, hard times teach us to trust God in new ways. Hard times teach us to trust God in new ways. And so in verse 19, Peter says, So if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right, and trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never fail you. When troubles come, and it comes to all of us sooner or later, we generally can't do much about the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We can't wave our hands to make a, the, a sick relative well, or put money in the bank, or uh, cause angry people to, get, uh, to dislike us. But there's one thing that we can do. We can commit ourselves to our faithful creator, says Peter. See, when life begins to fall apart all around you, and nothing seems to be going right, 
Nothing is more important than committing yourself to God as your faithful creator. The one who loves you and promises to take care of you, never to leave you nor forsake you. Instead of trying to figure out how to solve your problems, you need to say, Lord, I can't do it. Admit that without you, I can't change anything. Oh, Lord, let your will be done in my life. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, nothing held back. You see, when we begin to pray like that, then God will hear from heaven, and and whether or not our circumstances change, we will change on the inside. Listen to the last words of Jesus from the cross recorded in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these words, he breathed his last breath. And so I was reflecting on, on, this, on this message. It struck me that we will never Believe what Peter is saying unless we believe in God's sovereign control over every detail of our lives. Peter is teaching us that every trial that comes our way is under God's control. Nothing Nothing can touch us that does not first pass through the Father's loving hands. We'll never believe in the sovereignty of God in our trials unless we also believe that He loves us with an everlasting love. We'll never be convinced of God's love unless we fix our gaze on the cross of Christ. There we see how the evil purposes of man serve the eternal purposes of Almighty God. There we behold untold suffering accomplishing our eternal salvation. So fix your eyes on the cross. Start there and your troubles will come into proper focus. You see, what God did for his son, he will do for his adopted sons and daughters. That's you and me. Yes, our trials can be painful, frustrating, burdensome, perplexing, challenging. They can be stubborn, exhausting, overwhelming, miserable, and sometimes horrifying. But trials are meant to build us up, not to tear us down. Trials are meant to educate us, not to entertain us. Trials are meant to discipline us, not to destroy us. Trials are meant to benefit us, not to ruin us. And trials are meant to motivate us, not to consume us. God allows trials or hard times to come to us to help us, not hurt us. To bless us, not curse us. To make us, not break us. And to strengthen us, not weaken us. Trials may come in many shapes and forms and intensities. They may rise, arise in the form of physical illness. They may occur as a result of an accident. They may happen because of the loss of a job. They may come because a loved one uh, dies. They may strike as the result of some tragedy. They may arrive in the form of discouraging situations they may transpire due to a broken relationship. But however trials come, remember that no matter how harsh the test, no matter how difficult the situation, 
no matter how painful the ordeal, no matter how disappointing the circumstance, no matter how strong the opposition, no, wonder, no matter how fierce the enemy, no matter how severe the storm, steep the climb, no matter how dark the night, no matter how dreadful the crisis or heavy the burden, God's grace will always be sufficient to see us through. You see, when trials come, we need to trust in the Lord. When trials come, we need to stand on the promises of God. When trials come, we need to pray without ceasing. And when trials come, we need to hold to God's unchanging hand. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.